Stephen Portnoy, White House correspondent from CBS, has helped us uh, cover all things Washington. We appreciate you being available this morning. Good morning, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hey, fellas. Much appreciated. All right, well, let's talk. Let's start out, uh, if we can, uh, these documents. Uh, what is the early analysis of the difference and or similarities when President Trump had uh, secreted a bunch of documents down in Florida? Well, I, I could spend more time talking about the differences. Let's talk about the similarities first. Uh, at, at its core, what we're talking about is the potential mishandling of classified documents. That was the case in Donald Trump, uh, moving uh, classified documents out of the White House down to Mar-a-Lago, keeping them there. Uh, it, it seems as though there might be something along those lines, in this case, with documents from the Obama era that were taken from the White House and uh, it's possibly handled improperly in the way that they wound up at a think tank here in Washington with Joe Biden's name on it, the Penn Biden Center here in D.C., established by the former vice president of the University of Pennsylvania in 2017. Uh, it, there was an office at that facility on Capitol Hill that, um, or I should say near the Capitol, that was meant for the former vice president's use, and he did use it briefly from 2017 until he began his campaign for president. The discovery was made in November of last year, about a week before the midterm elections, when personal lawyers for Joe Biden were going through a locked closet, they say, and they stumbled upon, amongst other things, other uh, boxes and other materials that were not classified, some materials that did have clear classified markings. Now, the White House says that these lawyers stopped what they were doing right away, picked up the phone, called the White House Counsel's office. The White House Counsel immediately notified the National Archives and said there are presidential records that have been identified at the Penn Biden Center. The next day, the National Archives went to get them, and then it seems at a certain point the National Archives called in the Justice Department. And that's where things are, I think, going to continue to get interesting, because the Attorney General and his senior advisors seem to have tapped the U.S. attorney in Chicago, who's a Trump appointee and a holdover from the Trump administration, to review this matter and determine whether the Justice Department ought to take any further action. When it comes to the differences between the Biden case and the Trump case, they're pretty stark. I mean, what we're talking about with Donald Trump is 300 classified materials, it's been said, kept at Mar-a-Lago in sort of an obstinate way where the former president said a couple of things. One, that they were his. Two, that they had actually been declassified, although there's been nothing to substantiate that other than the words of the president and a couple of his former allies. Uh, the um, the, the uh, Trump lawyers sought to, uh, in part, cooperate with the National Archives, but then the Justice Department accuses them of essentially taking part in a conspiracy to lie because they, the lawyer said that all the classified material was removed from Mar-a-Lago, and then ultimately a grand jury subpoena was delivered, and then you had the serving of a search warrant where the FBI actually went in and took many more classified documents. So the, the, the two um, instances are not comparable in that sense, because in the Biden case, it looks like it was an incident of self-reporting. And also the number of documents is, is pretty... I mean, pretty small. I mean, look, you could have the most sensitive document in the world, and it could be very important even if it's just one. So we don't know what's in these documents. We're told it's roughly 10. The one thing that we're told is they do not contain America's nuclear secrets, because there was some reporting early on in the Trump case that perhaps nuclear secrets were part of the stash in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, but other than that, we don't have a firm sense of, of what actually is in this material. We, we do know it's several years old. I mean, this, this dates back to the Obama era. 
And um, while some material is meant to be classified, it's meant to stay classified for decades. Uh, you know, the idea of the existence of classified material, uh, whether it, it did any damage to the national security because it was outside of a skiff, a secure compartmentalized uh, facility, is not at this moment known. But there is this ongoing review that is not yet completed that's being run by the U.S. Attorney in Chicago. But Steve, what we're not hearing here is why this took so long uh, after the midterm elections for it to come out. I think a yeah. lot of Republicans are going to find the timing very suspicious that they knew about it before the midterms, but didn't release it until now. A lot of uh, Republicans and a lot of journalists, too. Look, uh, this is a story that CBS News broke last night. Uh, in part because we had sources uh, telling us that this was going on. And so we uh, reported it uh, last night, and other news organizations caught up with us. But, it, you know, this was something that the White House, it seems, was not interested in, in, in announcing. Uh, and, you know, our reporting comes two months after the initial incident. I think what you, you made, you touched on this point, and I think it's really a, a salient point, is that we don't know what these documents are. It's possible that Joe Biden could have had fewer documents, but they could have been more serious in terms of their implications if they fell into the wrong hands. We'll never really know that, so we can't really equate, uh, other than by, as you point out, by the numbers, sheer numbers of documents, the severity of these issues. But the bottom line here is what rights do presidents have to some of the material generated during their administration? It's a really good question, and it actually plays more into the Trump case, because part of uh, his de defense, not to say that there will be a criminal case there, but there certainly has been the service of a search warrant and the, uh, a grand jury impaneled, and the suggestion is made that the Justice Department is taking this very seriously. There's a special counsel who's now been appointed to oversee that investigation. Part of Donald Trump's defense is that he had the right to decide what he could keep and what he had to turn over to the National Archives, because the Presidential Records Act essentially assumes that an outgoing president will operate in good faith and follow the letter of the law, which says that any presidential record belongs to the National Archives and goes to the National Archives, but it's up to the president to decide what is a presidential record and what is personal. In this case, Donald Trump appears to have asserted that the records that he kept, all of them, were personal, even though they were clearly government documents that had classified marking and belonged to the American public. Let's move on to Mexico, where the president uh, visited and uh, talked to the Prime Minister of Canada and uh, the president of Mexico. Uh, is there a next step? Is the White House talking about these talks have led to this, and this is where uh, U.S.-Mexico relations and border security are going? The key deliverable that we expect to be announced at a, uh, a joint statement later today between the three leaders who have taken part in the North American Leaders Summit, U.S., Mexico, and Canada, has to do with additional commitments that the Mexicans are prepared to make with respect to fentanyl. And uh, we expect some new announcement about a level, a higher level of cooperation between American law enforcement and Mexican law enforcement on the interdiction of fentanyl. Beyond that, AMLO, the president of Mexico, was talking yesterday morning about maybe upping the numbers in an agreement announced last week to have nationals of four countries uh, remain in Mexico, be sent back to Mexico if they try to enter the United States illegally. This has to do with um, migrants coming from uh, Nicaragua and um, uh, Venezuela and Cuba and Haiti. And the uh, pledge was made by the Mexican government that if nationals from those countries, which will not readily accept their own uh, American deportees, um, that Mexico would hold 30,000 of them. And AMLO suggested yesterday morning that they might up the number. 
So we'll wait to see what uh, the, the, the two presidents announced. The White House yesterday didn't uh, really seem all that enthusiastic about significant progress there, but they're, they're glad that the Mexicans already agreed to accept 30,000. The U.S. government has said it will take in 30,000 migrants from those countries if they apply through a program from their home countries, essentially get on a plane and fly to the United States rather than trying to come up through Mexico. The bottom line is, yesterday at a, a, closed, a, a meeting that was closed, but for a period of time reporters were brought in to take pictures, you heard President Biden express uh, his good wishes for the Mexican president. The Mexican president uh, said some pretty stark things. He said that uh, the United States needs to end its, essentially its, its, um, its abandonment of Latin America and um, spread the wealth around for, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm really, you know, sort of just simplifying what, what AMLO was saying, but um, the President of the United States responded by saying, look, we have responsibilities beyond our own hemisphere, and he defended American aid. Uh, essentially what uh, Lopez Obrador was asking for was more American dollars being pumped into these countries in Central and Latin America. Was there some tipping point that led to the president announcing New Mexico immigration restrictions and the trip to Mexico? Did something lead up to that? I mean, he's been essentially dogged by immigration issues uh, for all of his presidency, but all of a sudden, two things, a trip to Mexico plus new measures. Well, the trip to Mexico that the president's on right now is scheduled as part of this international summit that was, you know, probably the better part of a year in the planning. But it happens that over the last year, uh, the level of attempted crossings from Mexico into the United States has risen to a point where really, in the last couple of months, it's been at an all-time high. The Border Patrol has never recorded as many uh, interactions or encounters or apprehensions, whatever you want to call it politely, uh, as they have in these last several months. And that has led to, and you've seen pictures, you've heard stories about the, the, the pressure that's being put, that's been put on border towns. The border states have uh, had their Republican governors send migrants to uh, blue-run states like Massachusetts and New York and California. And so the White House announced that new parole program, which is sort of a carrot stick. You have the uh, promise of, of expedited ret- return, expedited removal, to Mexico in exchange for the admittance of an equal number of people who would uh, apply from their home countries and come on airplanes. Um, the uh, fact is that the Biden administration is trying to argue that that program in and of itself, because it sees higher numbers from those four countries coming over because of the conditions in those four countries, should alleviate the pressure at the border and perhaps um, improve the situation there. When the president went down to the border on Sunday. It was a very sanitized, stage-managed scene, as it always would be whenever the President of the United States of any party is anywhere. I traveled with Donald Trump to the border a couple of times, and it was a very locked-down, controlled situation as Donald Trump surveyed his big, beautiful wall. Uh, In this case, it was a similar scene where Joe Biden went down on the border, and there was no sense that it was a chaotic situation. People who live down there say, that it was very different a few you know, days earlier or weeks earlier. Steve, last question, and we appreciate your taking the time to talk to us this morning. You served as president, may still, maybe you still are, president of the White House Correspondents Association. Let me Virtually, ask, my term expired did it? Okay. last year. Well, this puts you in a unique position to answer this question. As compared to the daily press briefings, the spoon-fed to reporters, and the give-and-take of a press conference, which is more valuable to you as a reporter and why? 
Well, without question, what's more valuable to me and to you and to history is a presidential news conference. Uh, the words of a president at a news conference are made for uh, are, are recorded for history. And what a particular press secretary says on any given day will be easily and readily forgotten. Uh, what what a president says is part of our American story. And so the opportunity to ask the president questions as we've had over the course of the last 100 years, which we have not had so much in this presidency, are what we ask for, because it's, it's part of the record of our collective story. And a, a lack of willingness to take part in that engagement, I think, is, is a bit unfair to the public. Thank Fair you enough. so much, Stephen. Very much appreciated. And uh, we'll talk again, but thanks for your insights and analysis. Yeah, we really appreciate your taking the time, Steve. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Stephen Portnoy, White House Correspondent from CBS, former president of the White House Correspondents Association.